Welcome to the official podcast of Fourturnia.com. We have the power. I'm your host, AJ, AKA Voodoo Magic, AKA Zor. And today's episode is titled The Forging of the Forge. A title perfect for this episode because today, September 6th, is the day when the first issue of a brand new four issue limited comic series called Masters of the Universe Forge of Destiny from Dark Horse Publishing hits comic book shelves and digital platforms everywhere. And today, we are going to discuss the forging of these new comics, a prequel story to the Masters of the Universe Revelation and Revolution animated Netflix series, followed by a discussion of some of the plot details of issue one. And don't worry, we will give you a spoiler warning once we get there. And who else better to have this chat with than the brilliant creator himself, the writer and variant cover artist behind Masters of the Universe, Forge of Destiny, Tim Seeley. Welcome back, Tim. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, AJ. Always a pleasure. So, Tim, before we start anything, I got your protagonist here from your 2020 comic book series, He-Man and the Masters of the uh, Multiverse. And, uh, you know, the origins, he Skeletor figure. And, well, I mean, so what did you think of this? I mean, it's so cool. Obviously, like, you know, when you're a little kid and you're super into your your little plastic toy figure collection, uh, the idea that someday you'd have a character that you help make up get a piece of plastic uh that's that's the dream so uh i also i like i wait in line like everyone else uh, digitally to buy them so <laughs> i got, i ordered myself a couple uh but he's also displayed prominently in my office as well just a couple just two just two actually just two and i gave one to my brother so <laughs> oh wow <laughs> i think i would have gotten like 10 of them but do you know I do wish, and I love Mattel, but I do wish they would have put a little more effort into it, just a tiny bit. Um, maybe some white streaks in the hair and uh, maybe bones on the power harness. Oh, maybe. yeah. Well, I, and I wonder how much, you know, because these are the exclusives. I wonder what the, like, tooling and all that sort of stuff. I'm curious, like, what that kind of, you know, what work that would take to do stuff like that. Uh, yeah. In the meantime, I suggest grabbing a little thing of white out and just going... And then you're good to go. Yeah, but I don't want to take it out of the packaging. <laughs> That's the yeah. thing. You have to like do it like you do a ship in a bottle. You just poke a hole and then you sit in there and then you pick it up. You expect so much of me, Tim. I can't do that. <laughs> you know, but uh, I do like that these new origin figures. Um, what, what was the, I got Fanger and the yeah. the bubble packaging. Now you can remove the card backing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and not destroy the packaging to get to the figures. So I really like that they're, you know, it looks like they're moving forward with that. Maybe because they're um, skipping retail now for at least the vintage figures. It's going to be all Mattel Creations exclusive starting in 2024. And uh, perhaps that's the way of the future. So I do like that. But uh, all right, maybe I'll give that little battleship painting technique a try. (laughs) Ship in the bottle. So, Tim, the last time you were on, we were celebrating the release of Masterverse and uh, the first issue of the Masters of the Universe comic anthology series that had um, its debut the past this past February. Wow. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah, it really does. 
And so now that all four issues have been released and the trade is coming out next month, October 17th, I believe. Uh, so now reflecting back at it all, I mean, what, what, do, what do you think? Were you happy how it all came together? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy process and dark horse was, you know, really, that's a ton of work to like wrangle that many creative teams. Uh, and I think they did an excellent job with it. Um, I think the way that we bounced it out ended up working out pretty well. I think, you know, because of sort of the speed of some of the artists and, you know, just, just other factors like that, we, it wasn't a project where I could say like, Hey, these two go together. These two go together. It kind of had to be a little bit improv just because we were sort of waiting on people at, at different times. So, um, that meant like, you know, doing the, uh, the framing sequence, you know, had to be a little bit flexible. Um, but I think in the end, like, I, I think we made something pretty cool. The, the goal, obviously, was just to give you some really cool sort of alternate versions with some great artists. Uh, and I think we did that really well. Um, you know, I, I would have liked, I think, if I could have done something slightly different, I would like to have more room for the framing sequence. Uh, just so that it, it could be more of a sort of plot, but we're never going to get that. You know, we were already sort of, I didn't want to cut into these shorts and, you know, you don't want to have me expounding more on stuff when you can get like Kelly Jones or Sergio or, you know, or Pico Asio drawing this stuff. So, uh, so I think it turned out great. And we worked within some, you know, minor constraints that we had to work with. Um, but, you know, some of those stories, I think, you know, they work really well. I think they're really sort of, uh, considered from beginning to end. I think the artists really put some love into them, uh, especially as much as I asked them to draw most of the time. You know, I really enjoyed, I mean, Sergio, I love, but um, afterwards, you know, issues two, three, and four came out and I really enjoyed that issue four story, the, uh, the mega beast matrix. Yeah. The force one with Pico Asio. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the fact that it's not Skeletor, you know, it's not Hordak, uh, but Modulok is the, you know, being the main villain, you know, the multiverse threat here, you know, infecting anything he touches. Well, organic, right. Uh, he touched Roboto can't affect them, but it was so cool to me. And, uh, and I love the way, uh, Fico was it. Yeah. Um, did, to the art and um so did you have a favorite anthology uh story out of the bunch um i think i mean the first issue just in general with with sergio and uh kelly those are like two dream yeah collaborators so that was super cool for me i really did like that last one um i thought you know the the one with Vico and getting to do like the modern sort of he force thing um and have it be just like this big epic you know superhero fantasy tale um that was probably my, you know, overall, that one is probably my favorite just because it's, it's like, it takes place now and it's like in the, you know, it affects things kind of, and kind of what you said, just getting to use a villain that is kind of outside the, the standard um, and do some stuff we haven't seen. Plus, I just got to add in every character I could think of. Like, you know, it was, it was just full of, of stuff. Uh, I was sending Pico just reference like crazy, you know, going online and pulling out all these stuff and, we put Blast Attack in a fucking comic, for God's sake. So, uh, so I think that one was really fun. Um, you know, the one that David Rabin did, uh, I thought, which was the sort of Viking one. Yeah, yeah art on that was so cool. It's such a unique take on stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just the I really liked the uh, the uh, the EJ Sue one, which was the sort of uh, Japanese manga esque influence one. Uh, I thought that one turned out great too. But, you know, most of it I thought 
you know, we made something kind of cool and I hope people had a good time with it. It was always going to be sort of a weird project, but that's kind of the stuff you can do in comics that you can't do anywhere else. So I was, you know, just happy to mess around. Yeah. And in regarding, well, let me put a pin in that. Um, so at the very end of Masterverse issue four, um, it feels like we get a tease of what's coming next. You know, we see Prince Adam looking out from Castle Grayskull and we see what possibly looks like maybe a comet, you know, reflecting in his eye. And um, I couldn't help, obviously, also to notice that when the Masterverse trade was announced, it said uh, it was labeled volume one. So did Masterverse do okay sales wise? I mean, as in was Dark Horse and Mattel happy enough with the results to justify another, hopefully? Yeah, I think so. I uh, I mean, again, the other side of this though is that we were, we hit the ground from Masterverse and immediately had to work on uh, the prequel, you know, the, the Revelation Revolution stuff. Um, because that has an impending deadline. Like that is, there is an animated series that is going to drop and we have to get this in before that shows up. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, I think it did pretty well. I think people were happy with it. If uh, there were to be, let's say, a lot of people asking Dark Horse for another one, that would probably help us get another one faster. Uh, but it'll be at least four months, you know, because we've got to do, um, we've got to do Master Reverse, or Masters of Universe Revolution. So yeah, uh, that'll yeah. be first. You know, generally speaking, uh, being someone outside of the industry, I've always been curious what the benchmark of success is. And without without getting into any specifics of any specific publisher, is there like a sales benchmark usually set by a publisher, you know, ahead of time, a sales number, a number of comics uh, sold that determines if a comic was successful or not? It's a great question, and it'd be really hard to answer. And I can tell you that because I have independently published stuff through Image. Um, because the bench, th there's basically three different markets at this point that you sell your comic through, which is you've got the direct market, which is comic book stores. Uh, and so, you know, that's you're putting out your stuff that's immediate sort of uh, sales. Like you put it out that Wednesday, you get your sales in. Uh, then there's also digital, which would be, you know, Comixology and all those sort of platforms. Yeah, the Kindle, it's basically Kindle now. And then the other one is when you put the trade out, then you're switching over, and that's called uh, the book market, uh, and that is a different industry, pretty much in general. Uh, I would guess, you know, just from my own experience, something like Master of the Universe is not going to be huge in comic book stores, but it'll probably be bigger in direct in book market. Um, so I think, you know, sales wise, uh, it probably did pretty pretty well. I don't know what the cutoff would be. You're paying for a license, so that's going to factor in. Um, but I mean, you know, I would guess when the trade hits that where they really find, find out how it's sold. I can tell you from my previous DC stuff, when I was working on Master of the Universe, that Master of the Universe trades outsell the monthlies by a lot. Uh, right. like the numbers on Master Multiverse trade or the numbers on, um, Injustice Master of the Universe were way higher, you know, overall than the monthly series. Um, because the kind of fans who are into this stuff. Uh, don't necessarily go to the comic book store on Wednesday and don't necessarily want to wait a month and don't necessarily, you know, there's kind of like, there's like the real mainstream and then mainstream comics, which is, you know, two different businesses completely. And I would, you know, just from years of doing this, the Wednesday sort of Wednesday warrior kind of comic release stuff 
um, tends to be for superheroes and it tends to be for Marvel DC superheroes. So a lot of, you know, and I know I personally have lived off trades for my entire 20 years of this job because that's where my stuff sells, you know, like mm-hmm. I've always make stuff for that market pretty much. Uh, whether I try to or not, that seems to be where I make books for. So I would call that the real mainstream, and I guess that's probably where Dark Horse will say, oh, yeah, this is exactly what we needed it to. You know, I used to hold so much weight in, like, that, you know, top 100 ranking. You know, I used to be a regular visitor uh, back in the day of the website, uh, Comicron.com, where the public could view the top 100 uh, comics sold in a various month. But, you know, ever since Diamond Distribution lost uh, the lion's share of the comic distribution business when Penguin stepped in, you know, it's been hard to find ranking, accurate ranking data and, um so it's all a mystery to me now, but, uh, you know, the way you're just talking here, uh, maybe I was just holding too much importance. <laughs> it is important, but it's weird. And it's also, you know, when you'd see those, um, those rankings, it was almost always, so sales are relative to a, um, sort of a benchmark book and, and it's usually detective comics. So usually when they would rank those, it'd be like, what is the percentage of numbers to detective comics or something? And that's also not really easy to do anymore. Like you said, you the, you know, Diamond does get that information. There's multiple retailers. Like what something actually sells is kind of hard to say now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also, I think because stuff is released day and date with digital, you know, uh, I it used to be the case that uh, like a third of your total sales would be would be through you know Comicsology or Kindle. I don't know if that's true anymore. Comicsology is kind of dissipated and buried under the backyard. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> It, you know, it's still a significant, I think on Kindle and stuff, it's still a significant amount. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, because so much relies on the on the, the real mainstream, it's really hard to say. You know, should I go deep? Yeah, let's, I'm, I, this is the weeds. This is where I live in the weeds. So. Well, this one, this one might piss you off and I don't want to get you pissed off, but it's scary too. And you're a teacher, right? You're a teacher. Um. What do you do with what's going on with artificial intelligence? Because, I mean, you're, you're teaching these kids, you know, about, you know, the market and being creative and and either in, you know, in art or in writing or what have you. And they it feels like this is an unstoppable train where no matter what we do, there's going to be so many people, so many creatives out there that are going to be replaced by AI and maybe you know the next the future of creators will be software engineers or you know AI developers or or they give like one drawing to their AI program and the AI renders the, the entire comic book. I mean, what is your take on that? I mean, they want you to think it's inevitable. That is what these companies want you to believe because they want to boost their stock, so they want you to invest early. Uh, and so that is part of their narrative is that it's inevitable, which is not true. Uh, okay. That's just their bullshit. You know, they're selling you something. They're always selling something. Tech, Silicon Valley is always selling stuff. I think the reality of, of the AI stuff is it's 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 right now being used by a lot of people. It's the same kind of people who always run out early and try to, you know, sort of make a bunch of money before reality sets in, which is the same people who went out and did NFTs and sort of this kind of thing. Uh, and most of the time that stuff is not, it doesn't shake out the way that it is, that they describe it's going to, uh, nor does it end up being worth what they think it is. 
uh, so far, AI cannot do what they're telling you can do. It cannot write a full screenplay that is any good. It cannot. It can do single images, but they have major limitations. Uh, you know, it, it's not the tool they're telling you it is. It's, it's, it could be a tool that artists could use with what they do um, to generate, let's say, some sort of you know comp work or or some sort of early take, some sketches. My, I think it's good for idea generation. Um, so far, it all looks like trash. Uh, it's you know. It's mostly unable to um, create real context. Its scripts are not good, uh, but they are they could be used as a tool. So you could use an AI to help you generate a script to figure out some structure. Um, but again, it's the problem it's going to face, and there's going to be lawsuits on this, is that it steals from people who do not give permission to train it. So right. they will tell you, no, there's so many you can't tell who's what it stole. That's not true. All the things that feed into it are identified. Uh, and so people will use, there will be lawsuits. Uh, it is currently not able to be trademarked or copywritten. So that will uh, impede some of this stuff. Uh, but it's going to be a fight. We're going to have to fight people trying to steal our jobs. And that's, you know, uh, it's basically this um, a way for a certain kind of uh, market to close off the kind of people that they didn't want to deal with ever. But mm -hmm. it doesn't exist without us. So, you know, and I, I've never seen it. It does not generate good cartooning. It's terrible cartooning. Cartooning relies on the eyes of a person and, and the voice of a person. Uh, it does terrible comics. They're shit. They, they're not readable. The storytelling is bad. Uh, could that change? I guess. But I think also, you know, if the people who made this shit relied, if they try to market it towards a tool for creatives, not a way to replace creatives, uh, I think it would be more useful and we wouldn't have to deal with this just gross uh, manipulation of, of this. Of, the perception of this technology by executives who who are trying to scare us. That's what they're trying to do. You know, I hear they're right now currently replacing journalists and they're replacing uh, extras in movies. You know, they're using some yeah. sort of te technology or, you know, you, you, or even if you offer your face once, they owe it for perpetuity. Um, well, so far it doesn't work. Like it, 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 okay. it everything is sort of around, oh, this will work. Uh, you know, again, like the journalism thing, uh, the way that it's being used is that it essentially it has to go in and steal all that information from someone else and summarize it, which that means someone had to write it, right? Someone had to write those. You can't, can't just like watch something happen and create a news article. A person can do that. The AI cannot, it cannot do that. It has to steal and regurgitate, uh, you know, and so it's, they the can't, it's not going to be what it, you know, what they say it is, but also we're going to deal with a bunch of crappy stuff because the people who make the stuff don't care about whether it's good or not. So that's hmm. the other side. And there's my rant. So. <laughs> All right. If you're not worried, I'm not worried. Yeah, you know? I'm worried that it cuts out entry-level jobs. I'm worried that it is used to drive down wages. Uh, I, it cannot do what they say, what they want it to do, uh, okay. especially not if we don't give them our stuff to steal from. Okay. Well, I feel better now. Thank you. <laughs> but also be concerned. And also, you know, it's always something to uh, point out to people when you hear them lie about it, that it's, that's bullshit. Okay. All right. So one last Masterverse question. Um, and then we're on to the new stuff. So in Masterverse issue four, uh, you had a terrific story titled Unfakeable featuring the characters from the Netflix 2021 CG children's show, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. 
with art by it was Pez, right? Daniel Lopez. And, uh, and Daniel's art was spot on. It was brilliant. And reading the story and seeing his art often felt like I was watching a new episode from the show. Now, Rob David uh, from Mattel, the showrunner from He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, uh, dropped some hints that even though the animated series is done on Netflix, that he may be continuing the adventures of his show, that iteration, in another medium. So, so <laughs> I see where your answer is going to be. Uh, so I was going to ask you, is it possible, you know, that what Rob David is hinting about is the, you know, is the comics is possibly Daniel Lopez returning in the great Tim Seeley returning to do its story. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't heard anything yet. Uh, that would, that would be a lot of fun. I, you know, the, the thing that Rob brought to this, which I think is really interesting is that he's, bringing in the artists who work on these shows to, to do the comics. So, uh, you know, so we've got Eddie Nunez who designed the characters. In fact, the background of your, uh, of, of this, this, uh, platform right here, he's, mm -hmm. he's doing the, the art for the Masterverse or master revelation series. And that has is one of the guys who works on that show. So that's so cool that these guys are able to, you know, bring their aesthetic and their design, uh, to the comics, which is what makes them so, you know, connected to those animated shows. Uh, right. Man, I would, that'd be awesome. I would love to work on that stuff. My daughter loves that show. In fact, uh, when we're in the car, she always says, He-Man song, and I have to play the Power's Yours, uh, Power's Ours. I have to play it like three times. I have that song just etched in my brain. Uh, so she loves it. Uh, you know, when, when, we, when we ever talk about He-Man, she's always, that's what she references. It's that show that she loves. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I would do it. I would do it just to to have something to connect with my kid on, additional to connect with my kid on. So uh, yeah, I love it. I'm I'm glad that that show exists. I think is one of the best versions of Master Universe I've ever seen. Uh, and there's some of those episodes, like the one where uh, He-Man and Skeletor have to sort of uh, keep that machine busy and they keep moving. So they do that dance. They do like <laughs> that. That's so great. Some of my favorite stuff. Uh, and you know, Brian Q. Miller was a writer on there. Uh, some of the other writers I know from comics were were writers, and uh, so they did awesome stuff for that show. Did you get your daughter some of those uh, figures from the oh, show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so she has uh, Trampjaw, Evelyn, um, He-Man, a couple He-Mans, a Battle Cat. Uh, and then I have Ram Mam because that's my favorite. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure sooner or later that will end up uh, on the floor in her bedroom. You know, I hope more comes out in Masterverse. We have the, you know, I have the He-Man, I have the Skeletor, but I was hoping um, more of that subline would come out, you know, maybe like a merman. And um, because I really love that merman design, um, yeah. but, but nothing yet. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think they're making the, the CG kids show toys anymore. And maybe those didn't sell well. And that's why we haven't seen anymore because that was pretty early introduced hmm, on Masterverse in 2020. 22 i think yeah so and we haven't seen any sense so maybe it didn't sell well and maybe it's just you know a dash toe i managed to get uh mosquitara mosquitara which that's a cool that's like one of the only ones that was completely new to the show and i thought that design was awesome was cool. yeah yeah i actually saw some uh discounted i almost picked them up they were like uh at like big lots or something like that they were like on heavy clearance you know but it's like yeah. Yeah, it's like this is already hard on my wife. <laughs> you know all the things I have. If I start collecting another line, she might have to come after me. So, 
<laughs> and she's my better half. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So you start putting your figures in the bedroom, then it's too late. <laughs> you know, I once did that, Tim, and you know, it was like you know, little by little, and then and then one day she's like, "What's going on there?" <laughs> you know, you know maybe you left it there, but after that, like, no. <laughs> All right, so let's talk Masters of the Universe, uh, Forge of Destiny. And this is a four-issue comic series that has been billed as a year one prequel story for both Masters of the Universe Revelation and Revolution. So can we talk about its genesis? Like, uh, can you say whose idea this prequel series was? Was it Rob David's over at Mattel? or Rob. was Always Rob. Yeah, <laughs> it's always Rob. He's always the one with the idea, yeah. And what was see year one is different, you know. I understand like a straight prequel series. So what was the goal of this series? Was there one or yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the big things was we wanted to do a Master Universe series that wasn't, you know, like as Rob and I talked about it, all the ones, especially the ones I've written, it's always like uh some big event and it always ends in Castle Grayskull with someone you know, picking it out over the, you know, uh, uh, the multiverse and, you know, everybody's turn like, and we wanted to just do stories like, you know, a Master Universe story uh, and something that would fit into sort of the long, you know, legacy of stuff uh, that has come before, but also would be something that played off some of the character relationships. Um, so a big, big part of it had to be, you know, let's, let's get into the He-Man, Tila, Prince Adam triangle. And let's get into the uh, King Randor Man at Arms relationship, and let's get into the Skeletor Evil Lynn relationship because they're all very important to uh, Revelation and Revolution. Right. So, uh, this was a way to sort of like do a story that uh, you know plays just like, hey, there's human stories where you know stuff happens in Eternia, and he has to do some stuff, and it doesn't necessarily involve you know multiverse versions or some big uh, final battle. At, like, which are fun. But... Yeah. But I feel like, you know, we've, we've sort of gone a few years without having, like, that kind of uh, story that would have appeared in the old mini-comics, would have appeared on the old cartoon, or would have appeared in a storybook that, you know, the Golden Books or whatever. Um, and this allowed us to do all that stuff with a real focus on bringing in uh, a couple of characters that, that sort of didn't get uh, any, any time on the, on the show, and then also to really go hard on the ones that do. Like, the really important characters, like, let's explore that that the most interesting parts of their their dynamics and their personality so in 2021 there was that terrific four issue uh, comic prequel series to masters of the universe revelation by tim sheridan now in that series uh while tim received script credit the actual story was credited to showrunner kevin smith and then executive producer rob david and possibly as a result, it felt um, extremely connected to the animated series. But in regards to your year one uh, prequel series, Masters of the Universe, Forge of Destiny, you don't have these Kevin Smith and Rob David story credits. So were you given more latitude, more free reign in regards to the story you wanted to tell? And then by nature... Is Forge of Destiny less bound to the animated source you're prequelizing? That's interesting. It's not, I don't think I, 
I didn't, I didn't take more latitude. Maybe that's, maybe that's the best way to describe it. I mean, I, I basically, I read the scripts for Revolution. Uh, I have, I know, obviously, I'd already seen Revelation, and so Rob and I, Rob kind of told me what he thought it needed. Um, the basic plot is is my pitch, uh, and then Rob and I went back and forth and sort of refined like what moments need you know needed to be there, uh, but it's not as tied if if only because you know the prequel series that uh, that Sheridan did uh the other Tim S uh the one that he did is like it's a character origin that ties directly into mm -hmm. uh to what they're working on uh, the or Orlax right well, yeah exactly yeah is, I guess it's it's as tied as far as the personalities and the characters go but it's not as tied plot wise if that makes sense um but it definitely you know sort of thematically it's very much uh it, you know tied to the show i think it's very important uh in that it sets up at least two relationships that you know are important to revolution and then does about three of them that are important to revolution right sorry other way around Revol yeah well go with that <laughs> well i like you saying it was very important because um Back in the day, I was really into the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and um, I searched out a lot of the prequel comics and was severely disappointed by them, to be blunt, you know. Uh, many of them felt like uh, unnecessarily fluff and cash grabs to me um that never really added anything to the movies that they were prequelizing sure. um they were really frustrating some of them um that's why several weeks back talking to ted biaselli on this podcast uh, i was expressing how um elated i was with the revelation prequel comic series that the other tim s did because that story was surrounding the orlax of primaria and it added uh dynamic layers to the show it was important right? It was meaningful. And the fact that you're saying this is important as well, and it felt that way as I read it, and we'll get to that spoiler part of the podcast. But, um, you know, that's my ultimate hope. I think a lot of people's hope when they're reading these kind of things. So it's not fluff, but it adds meaningful layers. Yeah, and I think it does. I mean, you know, again, it's not like, because it takes place before, you know, Revelation, but also Revolution comes after Revelation, so it's before both of them. Um, but I think it's it's you know it there's at least one or two plot points that that definitely feed into it importantly, and most of it is just good you know it's character stuff like kind of find out why they you know their connections are the way that they are and uh, and a big part of it I mean you know really playing up the I think the most important one is the the Tila Human Triangle you know Adam Triangle because that is one of the most important parts of uh, of Revelation. I mean, probably the most important aspect. Yeah. yeah. You know, your Masterverse comics um, was a framing story, and was also the framing story was also a prequel to Revelation and Revolution. Right. So, in regards to continuity, um, what comes first? Is it Forge of Destiny and then Masterverse? Masterverse and Forge of Destiny. Mass first, unfortunate destiny. Okay. Probably not by that much. Okay. Like, you know, my I was thinking of mass first being like within the first few weeks or something after, and then I was thinking of uh, that Forge Destiny would be about like, like two months, three months or something. He's still real green, uh, and it's sort of playing up the idea that you know when He Man first shows up, it's unclear like 
where did this guy come from? Who's he loyal to? You know, is he one of Randor's subjects? Is he some barbarian from the field? Uh, and I really want to play up that part of it as the politics kind of, because I think that's interesting, right? It's it's like all of a sudden this king gets a nuclear weapon, right? Like all of a sudden he's got, you know, so I want to play up that stuff and yeah. sort of tensions that I think would come with that and how, you know, the way that we played Skeletor, I think in Revelation is that he he's this sort of outsider that starts messing with shit and, you know, him being there makes a question of allegiance. Like, you know, clearly he got Merman and he got Beastman and he got, he got those people. And so who else is on his side? Um, and I kind of, I kind of, I went back to history a little bit for that stuff, you know? <laughs> so I, I want to, I don't mean to stop you. I want to get into the weeds of that right in that spoilers section there. So I want to be, because there are some people that actually listen and then stop and then go get the comic. I even read that in the comments. So um, I'm going to try to <laughs> keep them, you know, out of the spoiler territory as much as I can. So, um, so let me just grab a few more pieces from you and then we'll jump right into it. So um, uh, Eddie Nunes, right? It's exciting uh, to have artist Eddie Nunes handling these artist uh, duties on this series because um, from what I understand, he was instrumental in creating uh, so many of the Masters of the Universe Revelation models over at Powerhouse Animation. So when I see him draw He-Man and Tila, especially Skeletor even, um, it's the characters from the show, you know, right here on the page, you know? And I love it. I mean, it, it's it's perfect for him to do a prequel story like this. Yeah, it's awesome. It's such a get. And that's mm -hmm. what the way that Rob runs things is he's always, you know, He's always talking to everybody that works on stuff, which is amazing because I don't think, you know, any of these toy companies have ever had a guy like Rob who's just like, you know, uh, talking to the artists and talking to the comic book people and talking to the book people and, and the toy people. And he's doing it every day. And so, he, you know, he was able to bring this in to make it work. And that's kind of a coup. I mean, it's yeah. so rare to have like an animation designer because most of the time, if you're working in animation, you're like, oh, I don't have time for comics. Also, that seems like a ton of work. Right, uh, but <laughs> this is, we got Eddie to do, and that's awesome. Oh, I just love his work, and you. Um, unlike Masterverse, you have done a variant cover, at least one. I think was for issue two. Yeah, uh, for this series, and um, so when you do a variant cover like this, it's just because you maybe have more time to do it. I don't have any time, but I had to do one. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I think it was originally for issue one, but I think it took us a while to get it colored. So I got bumped to two, but um, yeah, it's just, I, you know, it was like, I, I've got to draw something for this. I got to, you know, uh, okay. so I used to draw full time and yeah. I'm sort of a part-time artist. Uh, and I didn't really, you know, I just wanted to do it so bad. I think uh, I did it like on a Sunday night or something and, you know, but uh, I, and I, I really liked what it allowed me to do. Cause in this series, we, you know, no spoilers here, but it's like a tour uh, across Eternia. So I went in and pulled out all these like, you know, peoples, like species that lived uh, that live in Eternia, and I drew them. You know, I put the kobolds in there from uh, from one of the the Larry Houston mini comics uh, on my cover. So oh, so it's gonna be like full of Easter eggs. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Draw basically. Is there a reason why, I mean, I don't know if you noticed this, um, Dark Horse's solicitations for issue two, they didn't show us the covers. Actually, 
they were showing us the covers for Masterverse issue two. So I have no idea what the, you know, the three covers, including that cover, was that on purpose or do you oh, think that? It wasn't. It was probably goof, probably on Diamond's part. Who knows? I don't know. Somebody goof. Okay. So I can't wait to see that. Oh, so, um, uh, focusing on see that. Um, did you see the uh, San Diego Comic Con 2023 footage of uh, the the two clips of Masters of the Universe Revolution that they showed? No, I was, oh, I was at the show, so I didn't see anything. I was uh, <laughs> I was I was probably like at the bar with Mattel while those were showing, so I didn't get to see him. No. <laughs> oh, oh, the footage looks great. You know, they had these two scenes shown. The first scene, both um, Teddy said they came from uh, episode one. Okay. Because uh, episode one was the only, you know, the, I think the only episode that was finished. They had the soundtrack laid out, everything, you know. And I can't believe Bear is coming back. I'm so happy about that. Um, so, um, and then the first scene took place in, uh, you, well, you read the scripts. You're going to know this took place in um, Subternia, you know, and they were fighting Scareglow. And it looked like they were rescuing, and um, you don't have to comment, they were rescuing the 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 glove of fisto and the the clamp of clamp chip you know they were on like scareglow's altar and uh, it looked like you know they were trying to undo you know uh their um, what skeletor skelgod did to them uh, sending them to hell and then the second clip was um just a scene of uh hordak and uh, skeletek and motherboard and uh, it looks so good it looked you know it looked even even in in the small amount of of footage we got, it just it looks so exciting and this sets this great tone. You know what it feels like, especially with Hordak? It feels like Thanos, you know, from the Marvel Cinematic yeah, Users. Yeah, and in the script, it, well, I don't want to ruin it, but it's uh, it it's sort of a reimagining, but a sequel in the way that the first one is, uh, you know, that revelation was. So I think yeah. we'll be pleased. It's pretty cool. And this is, you could talk about this. This is not a spoiler. Gwildor is coming back. He, uh, you know, Kevin Smith said that, uh, you know, they showed the figure and they said, uh, Gwildor and Orko are going to be the frenemies, you know, and they're going to be bickering back and forth. And I'm like, this is great. Yeah, there's some good stuff in the script for those two. Yeah. Oh, can't wait to see it. So, um, so right before we get to the spoilers, um, let's talk about blue people for a moment on this non-spoiler side okay so masters of the universe revelation uh did this wonderful thing where many fans as children who loved the toys who loved the filmation show and then grew up and cherished these fond memories uh but left it all behind you know they they didn't stay with the fandom um when they returned to the fandom nearly after 40 years, this was because of Masters of the Universe Revelation. And, and thanks to Masters of the Universe Revelation, they they not only re-engaged, but they stayed engaged. And they started collecting these figures. And their passion as children have been rejuvenated. And they've jumped in with both feet as adults. And it was rather wonderful to see. And remarkable, in a way. And um, so fans of this series returning that never visited any other medium other than uh, Filmation's He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and Masters of the Universe Revelation, don't recognize this blue race of people on the cover 
and simultaneously only know one version of Skeletor. You know, I see them in the comments and in forums. Um, the demon Skeletor, you know, this demon from another dimension. Um, Skeletor being a demon was stated in the filmation show several times, and we even got to see uh, Skeletor's dimension too in the filmation show. And uh, Skeletor being a demon was mentioned in the Revelation series a few times. Skeletor calls himself an, an interdimensional demon. So uh, a few years after the filmation show was over, and a lot of fans grew up and moved on to other things, there was this mini-comic that introduced a possibility that Skeletor would actually be you know, uh, Prince Adam's long lost uncle, as you know, Keldor, you know, setting up a Star Wars moment one day, you know, I am your uncle. <laughs> Prince Adam could go, nah, <laughs> you know, uh, and fans were kind of uh, split on that idea. And even the mini comics writer, Stephen Grant, was kind of split on the idea and he didn't really speak of it uh, too highly. But in 2002, as you know, as well, Mike Young uh, did the reboot series, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and took that Keldor idea and ran with it. And and historically speaking, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, um, historically speaking, this race of blue people called the Gar was really a device created to flesh out how Prince Adam's uncle, King Randor's brother, could possibly have blue skin, right? I mean, I think that was really the genesis behind it. And, um, you know, maybe maybe we can't have this conversation without moving to this spoiler side of the podcast. So if you haven't read Masters of the Universe, Forged... You know the Gar in the story because they're on the cover. So that's okay, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. but yeah, well, let me let me just make that dividing line anyway. Uh, if you haven't read Masters of the Universe, Forge of One Destiny yet, and uh, don't want it spoiled, I recommend wherever you're listening or watching this podcast, please press pause, go buy yourself issue one, either physically or digitally, read it, and then come back and hit that resume button because spoilers are ahead. So introducing this blue gar race in the Revelation Revolution universe in the Forge of Destiny prequel comic is interesting to say the least so what was your motivation tim behind inserting these blue people into the continuity is there a grander design and connective tissue to the upcoming revolution series or is this just something you wanted to introduce well it was it was my pitch because what i liked about the revelation series was that they really played up the a long-standing but kind of um, taken for granted aspect of Master Universe that it's like a world where the, there's a balance of magic and technology sort of mm -hmm. uh, you know that was one of the, like big pitches that was so cool for me when I was a kid is like wait they have swords and laser guns right like that yeah. was that was like and I feel like it's sort of a you know we take it for granted because it's we've seen it so many times but um, so the the idea that I had for this being that it was going to be partially about uh, the sort of politics of of, of Eternia was that um, if, you know, uh, if Eternos was, you know, a, a kind of um, traditionally a kind of medieval-like place that Adam had grown up and that it was sort of seat of power uh, and that there would be this other place um, that would be sort of the opposite. And so so we introduce uh, Anwak Gar as like a sort of cyberpunk, like uh, sort of hermit nation kind of. Uh, and so the idea is like that they're, you know, or that they they withdrew they withdrew from the world when 
too much magic started hanging out and they felt pretty uncomfortable about it. Uh, and so they withdrew and to their island and uh, and now uh, there's essentially uh, an envoy is being sent to sort of check on them. Where do they stand? This dude shows up, he's a demon alien from another place. And where do you stand? Are you with us? Are you against us? Are you going to go with him? And so that's kind of the impulse for the entire story. And obviously the Forge of Destiny comes into play here as you've read the first issue, because uh, it's essentially this idea that if He-Man is um, the nuclear weapon, like all of a sudden there's proliferation and now, you know, everybody's got to have a balance. Like, well, if you can send this guy who can lift a house, a castle and throw it at us, we need something else. And so that's kind of the, the politics of the story. And that's why I wanted to bring in Anwar Gar because I'd never seen it played with. We, we heard a lot about how it was this great place in the 2002 series, but it was just this empty kind of, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was just full of robots, I guess, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to see it like, what, what was it like at this height? And there was nothing to say in this version of the story that it didn't still exist. Uh, so, you know, I want to just do a scene where, like, He-Man is running around the streets of Anwagar, and it's, like, all, you know, blue and pink lighting, and there's, like, flying cars, and, you know, and I just want to do all that shit. But on the other side of it, it's kind of like Cuba. It's, like, been closed off from the world for so long, or North Korea, that, yeah. like, they're kind of, they're not bringing anything in, and all their stuff is kind of falling apart. And uh, so it just made for, I don't know, I just thought that would be such an interesting setting. Uh, and it would also allow me to bring in some other characters, um, which, you know, aren't in some of the other stuff. So, uh, you know, we have uh, Dash and we have uh, Web Store and we have all these other characters that weren't really part of uh, the main Revelation story that I could sneak in. So, well, originally, and this is going to be for the um, Filmation fans and toy fans that are here for Revelation and here for those prequel comics and, like I said, never explored much of the Lord. Um, I think the, the, the Gar history was originally uh, set up with the classics Motu lore, where um, <laughs> Queen Marlena, and I know she didn't mean it, but Queen Marlena is on her, like, Rainbow Warrior spaceship, and she opens up a black hole on purpose, you know, for some sort of space travel, bursts through the Gar planet, destroying it unintentionally, you know, yeah. on her way to Eternia. And then the Gar people, I guess some of them just escape in the nick of the time, nick of time before the full planet explodes. They're on a spaceship and then get stuck in some kind of time vortex and you know and land in eternia but it's 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 see it's not pre-eternia in, in this um continuity but eons past they land and um much earlier many 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 years before queen marlena actually shows up and then like you said they um you know they have this all this technology and indigenous people uh, never saw technology like this before. And then there's jealousy and then there's wars that ensue. So how much of this, because this is a different continuity, uh, how much of this continuity in your mind is carried over? I mean, I like, probably wouldn't do anything with the time travel portal thing. And I probably, okay. uh, just because that's cool for uh, for classics and it made for, you know, amount of toys. It's a little confusing. yeah. Uh, in a, in, a, in a comic, I just, I kind of felt like all you really need to know, and I really want to stick with the big theme ideas was, is that it's the, you know, this is the sci-fi city and it's next to the fantasy city. 
uh, not right next to it, but um, but so I thought that would be like the way to do a story that I hadn't seen exactly told before. Uh, but we know, like, just from the way that you know, you know, we know they have cool laser guns and crazy ships, and where did that stuff come from? Uh, and I also want to do like the when the Gar show up, like they have their own stuff, like they, you know, and maybe there's a story to be told, and I'm not here, but. You know, like maybe they built all that shit back in the day. Maybe they built like you know the the Talon fighter, and maybe they built all that stuff and and you know exported it and traded it or something. And you know now they still. So I I want to have like a cool thing where you see like you know it's a, it's like a seafaring people and they have all these crazy vehicles and they have like a water roton. I I want to make it's called like a, a hurricane or something. I can't remember what we call it, but um you know just like cool stuff like that like put stuff in here that gives us new toys. That's, that's the job. And I love this, um, this balance of power that you uh, set up, you know, uh, and, and the distrust because, uh, you know, it's Gar versus Grayskull, it's technology versus magic. And um, after a great war occurred, you had said that, um, you know, the, the Gar had lost their influence uh, because no matter what technological device they created, it was always outdone by magic, right? And magical weapons and artifacts. And um, so there was no trust, no balance. But um, King Grayskull, in his continuity, even the playing field by giving the uh, Gar that um, ancient metal, I don't recall the name, um, imbued by magic uh, that could be forged into weapons to fight magic. Right. It's called Flodistan, which is named after uh, Flodistan, which was a theory uh, back in the uh, medieval days that that's where heat and fire came from, was this fluid called Flodistan that was like, kind of just, uh, it, it was like an invisible sort of force that created fire. Hmm. That's where we got the name from. You have to be a real nerd to know that stuff. Flodistan. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I love that nerd stuff. So I'm glad you told me. Um, you know, and I love that line, you know, you, you use, like um, you said, you are never more powerful than when you are willing to give up power. And, uh, and, and, and it's such a nice line and it's so fitting for, you know, the, the series you're, you're, you're prequelizing, you know, it's such a, it's a, it's a running theme through that. And I, I just love that, that, um, and I, and I thought it was so cool that you said uh, or in your story that man in arms position was specifically created to balance the gars uh technological expertise that was cool you know because i don't think we ever got an origin for man at arms you know yeah i that is definitely a rob idea i think i can't remember it was definitely something we talked about but yeah that the the position was like going back you know there's other man at arms before duncan and that they mm -hmm. were there that put in place to sort of like as part of this deal. Uh, but I thought that was really cool. So I really love what you were saying in regards to um, the impact of He-Man on Eternia, because, um, you know, it, this story, you, you expect, you know, um, it not only focuses on the introduction and subsequent impact of Skeletor on Eternia and how obviously bad that could be, but also the introduction and impact of He-Man on Eternia and how bad that could be. And that's something, you know, you don't expect um, before you read this. But uh, 
because He-Man's arrival changed everything. You know, He-Man's origins and loyalties, as he said, were unclear. And um, to all of attorney at this point, and the fact that some considered He-Man this warrior with godlike powers, uh, an extension of King Randor, I, I could see it concerning him, you know, because it is equivalent to Eternos, like you were saying, getting a nuclear bomb, uh, which may ultimately upset the fragile balance of power of Eternia. And it never dawned on me before, but I get it and I love it. You know, because if Eternia was a real uh, real place, you're raising viable uh, questions and concerns that I never considered before as a fan, never thought of before. But as your comic brings them up, brings them up, I'm like, duh, naturally, you know, naturally, this would be the first response, you know, and it's so great. That's why I get the big bucks, man. There <laughs> no ai wrote that story nope. had to be a be a dork with a bunch of toys for 40 years to, to get around that one so and you know i love um you touching upon those alliances um where skeletor has secured the uh the alliance of uh, beastman and the aquaticans um so randor now is shoring up his alliances you know and it feels like you know chess pieces on a chessboard you know and um and it's a race against time and there's this real co cool uh political intrigue um you know game of thrones type of stuff going on and i i guess there is a balance with bringing palace intrigue into he-man comics too you know, I mean, what I always go to is like Star Wars, the Phantom Menace, you know, some finding those uh, boring trade disputes yeah. <laughs> going on. Right. That was too much. And uh, this is like, I think, you know, we use it more as a, a way to start a story instead of, you know, as a, as a backdrop. Right? But I, I, I was thinking that same thing. It's like you can't, you know, heavily, can't heavily do it. But it also, I don't know, I feel like if you're going to do this stuff now, Master Universe stories, and they're primarily for adult readers, like, you know, I mean, it, I don't, I don't think it makes it boring. I think it makes it interesting. I think, you know, and, and just sort of a natural extension. Like I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but, um, but you know, I, it's a, um, it's a way to do a new take on this stuff. Keep it fresh, keep it interesting, keep you thinking, and hopefully just make more toys. That's that's the job. <laughs> you know, and I think I think it and you, you you at least with issue one, that's all I've seen, you've hit the right balance. But I think it'll also been neat, and uh I don't mean to be your editor here, um, to have a comic panel, you know, like uh some real estate dedicated to the alliances made with Skeletor and the Aquaticans and the Beastmen, because yeah. I would I would love a page dedicated to that, you know? Like, what did Skeletor promise them or what did Skeletor threaten them, you know? Right. And, I mean, we've seen versions of that, like, going back to the mini-comics, like, when he would bring in Trapdoor, Triclops, like, he would see that stuff. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Yeah. Never, uh, yeah, you never really saw it. I know in the Robert Kirkman wrote the uh, Icons of Evil one uh, back in the day for MV Creations. They did a thing with um, Beastman, like, how, like, Skeletor, like, or Kelder, like, walked up to his, you know his people and like whooped his ass in a fight kind of and then that's how he so i've seen versions of it but uh yeah i wish i mean man if i had more issues hell yes that would be great <laughs> i would love to do more of that stuff
And Tim, you got to bring in, I know we were talking about this before, and I'm just begging you to do this. You got to bring in that beast woman at some time. Yeah. You know, the, the one that Nate did, um, the, the one that modeled Raquel Welch uh, from 1 million years BC, that famous poster. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I wish, you know, that's the thing is I wish I had room for all this stuff. Like, I, you know, yeah, I guess. I really had room for a beast man in general. I just had, you know, like, uh, I, I felt like, like if they're, if they were, well defined in the Kevin cartoon, then I would be like, well, let's bring in, you know, uh, I don't have a big arc for Beastman, I don't have a big arc for or for Merman, but I, but I have a big arc for Evelyn and stuff. It's like, well, let's bring in someone I could just we want to see. So that's why Web Store is here and and, uh, and some other stuff. That's fair. I mean, did you were you given any like strict guidelines on like what characters you can use, can't use, what locations you can use, can you, I uh, can't use or. Okay. Uh, pretty much. I mean, yeah. The way that we talked about it, it was like um, my pitch was like, I want to show like the rest of the the world, and so I listed like some of the the sort of tribes and uh, species of people that we'd see, and every I got the okay on all those. So mm. uh, yeah, I try to put in you know and just stuff that I always wondered about. You know, like when I was a kid, the kobolds and the gnolls and all this sort of stuff. I don't know. I just want to know, and so you know, I don't get to explain much to you, but it, it will. It'll be cool. Yeah, it's fun to get into the nitty gritty, you know. And you know what was also fun? It was fun to see um, Hera Kane uh, having the same sort of uh, situation going on, or at least perceived situation that King Randor has with Adam, um, his heir to the throne, you know, um, where she's more embarrassed of Dash, aka Cyclone, uh, than Randor is embarrassed of, of Prince Adam. So it was fun to see that, like, you know, parallel there. Yeah, that was a big part of this is I wanted to have like a an anti Adam, uh, so you know because uh, we I, there's a, a storyline you kind of saw in a lot of the animated stuff was like some people would come to to visit and they would have like some snotty kid from some other you know like there was like there was lots of episodes that had characters like that yeah uh, so I wanted to do something like that but kind of turn it on its head a little bit like see him deal with. Uh, you know, another kingdom's version of himself uh, and have him be similar, but sort of the opposite. You know, and speaking of Adam, the <laughs> the cover you use is so funny here where he runs off to transform into He-Man and um, <laughs> his excuse of like not being rad is he's being a woman chasing uh, playa, <laughs> as they call it, you know, that he's sleeping around with many women and engaging in uh, frivolous uh, relationships is quite humorous. Now, that that is strictly just his cover, right? He's not really being so promiscuous. I mean, I don't, not anymore. Maybe he was. Maybe he, you know, I mean, it's, it goes back to the, remember the DC um, series that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like his cover all the time was he was always like walking in with like a bunch of one, you know, two maidens on each arm or whatever, you know, so like that's where I pulled from. Uh, and again, you know, we don't know. We don't we don't need to know. But uh, certainly it does bring in later because, um, you know, that's kind of his job is to entertain. Uh, he's supposed to like, you know, talk to these other, uh, you know, lieges and they said, well, princesses and princes and. And and so we do see him uh, with uh, the the princess of the leopard people or the jaguar people, right? So yeah, yeah. And the people. You know, I, I remember that comic. I remember, 
I, I remember they're like, you know, where's Adam? You know, the king and queen, they were much older in that comic. Yeah. And then suddenly Adam like jumps out from the bushes behind him. And yeah. next thing you know, there's <laughs> this woman coming out of the bushes. Yeah. And uh, she's like, Adam, are you coming back? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I know, you know, whether it sort of holds up uh, and, and, you know, whether even then it was a little bit like racy uh, for a kid. But it probably yeah. was. Yeah, but it. But well, maybe not back then. Conan was a really... couple different ways. And plus, it's like even more innocent than most Archie comics. I mean, Archie's always making out with everything, so yeah. uh, you know it's totally fine. But but I thought that that was such a. It, it's also like a reason why Tila's always like, oh, you know, like it, 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 that's because she's like a you know really strong woman, and and she's like got this position, and she would always just be like, and there you are, like. Finding all the like, just the the you know the dumb ninnies and and like taking advantage of your like she would be so disappointed. I felt like that was such a interesting uh, character connection there. That, you know, and even though he's clearly like got feelings for Tila, he has to keep up this thing where he's like, yeah, it was you know it was the princess of the jaguar people I had to make out with her. Like you know, like he has to fake it out. Uh, I, I love that stuff. I love that tension. That's the you know my favorite sort of uh, superhero trifecta you know love triangle stuff oh, and it's so good tim because you have this heavy dynamic uh where tila is starting to resent adam um you know she was going to be promoted to what was that the earl of the army the earl marshal of the army uh but adam started acting up you know because of his secret job as he-man of course but disappearing you know acting like a fool running away from danger and then suddenly her new job is to fixate on Adam and make him the man that his father wants him to be. So, uh, you know, I can't even imagine the guilt <laughs> that Adam must be feeling, you know. And and when Tila says, uh, I can't respect you anymore, you know, that because Adam has everything and he's taking it for granted, while He-Man is out there giving everything of himself to others, um, what a person Adam is to still keep that secret to protect her. I mean, I, I don't think I could do that. I'd be like, oh, oh yeah, I'm He-Man. Yeah. I, I just yeah, so. that's the torment. That's the you know that's that's the 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 real conflict for for Adam is yeah. that you know he doesn't and why it's why I I know there's this sort of like. You know, sometimes it's kind of uncool to have a character who turns into some other guy. And I know Clark Kent in glasses is not that big of a change, but it's like, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. It's about what it means, you know, like we, it, it's what does it mean to, to be someone else? And that guy gets the credit and you don't. Uh, and then you get in trouble for being that guy. Like, that's the superhero story. That's Superman. That's, yeah. That's Billy Batson and Shazam. That is that is Spider Man. Like that's all the most important ideas there of like what makes a can't must superhero story. Uh, and I that, I loved that about the you know, going back to the DC series, the Paul Coverberg one, and then the original animated series. Like that was part of the story. Yeah, you know, and Adam to me, at least with Clark Kent, Adam to me is much more interesting than Clark Kent because Clark is hiding his true identity while right. Adam is trying his best to preserve his true identity. Yeah. That's great. And, That's really cool. yeah. yeah, and what his loved ones feel about him, you know? So um, it's... Yeah. it's then the other side of it that, that, and I hadn't ever thought of it, but I was thinking about this book, is like Adam actually, 
he's less powerful as He-Man than he is as Prince Adam. Because as Prince Adam, he he is the heir to the entire planet. And then he becomes his last power, <laughs> which is so great. And it's like, I don't know why I never thought of that before. But I was like, we have to talk about that here because, you know, what is power? Like, you know, uh, yes, he can punch real hard. And yes, he can throw stuff. And yes, you know, yes, he's got this lightning sword. But Adam, if you wanted to, and you go back to sort of the history of kings and, and, and the sort of royalty, like, he could, anything he wants, he could make happen. People would listen to him and they would do it for fear of their own lives. And that's how, like that's, that is what rich people have fought for, for the entirety of human history is the, the power to be able to say whatever and do whatever they want and have people do things for them. That's what they want. And so like the idea, and that's why bloodlines are created. They're fake. But this whole mm -hmm. thing that's created, you know, that this is this God King, this person was given this power so they can hang on to that. <laughs> That's it. So I, I feel like you have to kind of talk about it. I mean, it doesn't have to be everything, but it's got to be a theme. And it's got to be about what did he? What does he give up? Yeah. That's got to be brutal. Oh, speaking of brutal, speaking of brutal, Eva Lynn, the way she roasts <laughs> Dash's buddies. Holy yeah. cow. Those corpses. I was oh. like wow is that like is that like brutal but you know it's in line with the revelation revolution cartoon you know yeah i, I also kind of felt like she would probably kind of offhand it and she kind of be like kind of feel bad about it probably a little you know but she's yeah. also like they were in the way and that's just how you know she's i think she's a bad person because all she cares about is power but she's also like she has some amount of sort of awareness of other people in a weird way that even sort of scales relax, I think, you know, and you see that as Revelation plays out, uh, you know, because she can work with Tila as in Revelation as she did. Uh, but she's also just like she would stab you in the back in a, in a second with, with, with no compunction. And she would stab scales in the back with no compunction at any moment. Uh, he knows that. And that's what makes their that's why they are with each other. Right. They both know what the other one is. And it's kind of the basis of their entire romance, right? <laughs> you know, speaking of romance, speaking of evil and speaking of a revelation, and go ahead, Tim, call me crazy if I'm crazy. But did you notice a glint in Evelyn's eye in Masters of the Universe Revelation every time she talked about man in arms, you know, being the most <laughs> dangerous man of the universe? And I put it into uh into Masterverse. I thought. Because yeah. remember, the, yeah, right. The man, man, man in arms for her. I love that story. Um, yeah, the the one uh, uh, where you see to see this sort of crime noir sort of thing, and they're stuck together because they both lost their, you know, their connections. Uh, so yeah, I forgot. I forgot hmm. to mention that. That was one that the the Santos one. That's one of my favorite ones in the entire thing. I forgot to talk about it earlier, but I love that one. So great. And what was the artist? Uh, Victor Santos. Victor, Victor Santos. Santos. He was, he loved it too. He was so proud of his work. He was showing like so much off on social media, you know, not just his cover, but his interiors. Yeah. And yeah. I've talked and about it so many times, it. but yeah, I love that one. So great. Yeah, that is a good one. All right. What else do we have left? It's just one issue. Battle Cat. Battle Cat. Um, I noticed in the first issue, it appears that uh, Battle Cat uh, doesn't talk here like he did or rather didn't in Masters of the Universe Revelation. Uh, so is that intentional? Is it organically con 
to connect with Revelation because Kevin Smith did reveal it was during the 40th anniversary panel at San Diego Comic-Con 2022 that Battle Cat will finally talk in Masters of the Universe Revolution. You know, it was a decision he made in Revelation not to have him speak. And then he played around with the idea and they decided um, who was the actor playing Battle Cat Cringer? Um, mm, escapes me. But he did such a good job that they even wrote like extra lines for him because it was just fantastic. So was this conscious or am I just reading too much in a couple panels of issue one where he just goes rawr and doesn't yeah. say anything? The the rule, as I understood it, uh, was that before then, he doesn't he doesn't talk. Uh, okay. He does have Stranger, of course, and he gets quite a few lines in this, but um, Battlecat doesn't talk. That I mean, it's fine. It's you know, it's it uh, it kind of works, and we don't. That's the other hard part, I think, sometimes about um, the like having He Man run around on Battlecat is like, then he's always got like his best bro with him, and and for this, I needed him to be alone, so. Uh, well, you'll see. We separate them, uh, and I think it works pretty well. And, the, and I like that it was organic, that there was that thought process behind it. So, And then maybe one more thing would be Web Store, and maybe I'm not remembering it from the 2000X series, or maybe my eyes deceived me, because there was an angle of the art where Web Store looks miniature in size. Did I see that correctly? No, I hope not. He's not supposed to be miniature. <laughs> okay, okay. So it's just, it's the way I, because um, Evil Lynn had called her tiny, our tiny spider or something like that. Yeah, I think that was just an insult. Yeah. Okay, and the way Webster was climbing down, it looked like Webster was climbing down uh, right next to Skeletor. I guess, you know, the way it was drawn. So I was like, does he have an ability to, to shrink in size? This is something new. So, okay. So this was just... No, it must have just been perspective. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So, look, you, you, you know, to, to wrap this all up in a nice bow here, um, back in 2021, I guess, I was uh, debating someone about the quality of Masters of the Universe Revelation. Obviously, I loved it. Um, but this person I was debating with, um, very nice guy. I think his name was dice um he didn't you know love it so much uh so we came to an interesting impasse or understanding where i said you know i love the 2016 guardians of the galaxy movie and my favorite moments were those emotional character moments over and above the action and he said to me uh the opposite where the action for him was the best part. It superseded by far the emotion. So knowing where I come from, um, the first issue of uh, Forge of Destiny really spoke to me um, in regards to all of the characters' interactions, um, especially between Tila and Adam. But even when Skeletor yells, no, you know, and, and sends like chills through uh, Evelyn's and Webster's spines. Does Webster have a spine? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it really speaks to me. Um, and so far after reading, you know, issue one, I found it a wonderful counterpart to Masters of the Universe Revelation. So, so bravo, Tim. Very well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, for me, uh, 
action doesn't mean anything if we don't care about the characters. Otherwise, yes. There's a difference between action and mayhem. Uh, mayhem is sort of watchable for a little while, and you know, but then after, then you lose the connection to, to to who's imperiled, and you don't care why, and so uh, and who is you know who's leveling up, and who all these sort of things that we care about when we see any kind of action uh, fiction. So, uh, but yeah, the, so there's plenty of action in this one, and there's a huge extended fight scene in two and four. But uh, I was more interested in what makes them characters we care about. That was, I was more interested in that. Mm. And you're, you're hitting the bullseye for me. So, and I'm just eating it up. Well, I'm glad. Great. So Tim, before we wrap this up, uh, do you have anything you would like to add um, or let the audience know that we didn't touch upon today about masters of the universe, forge of destiny or, or anything else or anything else you're working on? Perhaps. I think that's all of it. I think, that, I think you got it. Okay. So this is a all. Uh, we want to thank Tim for joining us today. Uh, you've been fantastic, as always. Once again, great as always. Um, and I'd also like to thank uh, Caitlin and everyone at Dark Horse and Mattel for making this episode a reality. And especially, I would like to thank our wonderful community out there for listening and watching this podcast. And just a reminder... You can get issue one of Masters of the Universe Forge of Destiny today at comic shops and digital stores everywhere. And be sure to check out the Masterverse Trade paperback uh, coming out this October 17th. Now, if you enjoyed this, uh, this show, please show us your support by liking and subscribing to our streams. You can always drop us a line by sending an email to foreternia at gmail.com. We really do love the feedback. And stay at foreternia.com for all the latest updates and news, as well as links to our social media pages like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram that can help you stay up to date with all the Masters of the Universe, Revelation, Revolution, and Forge of Destiny content. So that's it. I want to thank you again all for listening and let the power return. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.